A reading from the first letter of Paul to Timothy. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Jesus Christ, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus said to to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, "Uh, How much do you owe my master? He answered, hundred jugs of olive oil. And he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? And he replied, a hundred containers of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal home. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? (coughs) And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. Well, the slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot 
serve God and wealth. The Gospel of the Lord. Blessed be the God of mystery who calls us to love and service. Amen. Do any of you remember Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Five Stages of Grief? Elizabeth Kubler-Ross identified five stages of grief that she felt were common, especially among people who were facing a terminal illness, uh, but also applied to people who were facing uh, a particularly... Uh, excruciating or challenging situation. And the five stages in sequence are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and finally, acceptance. I went through all five of these stages when I realized that I had scheduled myself to preach on this gospel passage today. (laughs) I grew up as a fan of that show, Different Strokes, with the the actor Gary Coleman, his famous line to his brother, what you talking about, Willis? That kind of, you know, when I read this gospel passage, I kind of hear his voice in my head going, what you talking about, Jesus? This kind of trickster Jesus passage, because in this passage, which is commonly referred to as the parable of the dishonest manager or the parable of the dishonest steward, Jesus seems to be commanding or commending the exact opposite of what he spent most of his time teaching. So it's very confusing. And even many biblical scholars admit that there are probably as many interpretations of this passage as there are interpreters. And I noticed this past week a much uh, higher uh, number of anxious postings of clergy colleagues who were preaching this week than you would normally experience. A lot of kind of like, what am I going to do? Or anyone got any ideas? Or don't wait till Saturday night. That was my favorite one. (laughs) So. And I even, I was so, I was like, God, this passage is so confusing. I even went and looked up an old sermon on this exact passage that I had preached here nine years ago. And it was no help at all. (laughs) So, um, a a nine-year belated apology (laughs) for that sermon. When you look at this passage we've just heard, you have at the beginning the parable of the dishonest manager, which goes through about the middle of verse 8. And then you have this whole series of sayings of Jesus And one commentator on this passage said, it's almost as if when Luke was constructing the gospel using different source materials, took this uh, 
uh, took this parable and then had this stack of index cards of sayings of Jesus and just started writing down any of them that he thought might apply to this passage, a bit of randomness. The crux of the parable is that the manager, the dishonest manager, who is about to get fired, is manipulating relationships of indebtedness in order to make the debtors indebted to him and not just to his master, the rich man. Right? They owe, they owe the rich man money. And by cutting what the debtors owe, he is making them indebted to him. He is giving them a gift that will require reciprocation. Now where the passage gets really confusing in the middle there is we see the rich man commending the dishonest manager for being so shrewd. And then we have Jesus saying these things that seem to also be commending how shrewd the manager was. I want to encourage all of us to not fall into the trap of then seeing the rich man as the figure that represents Jesus in the reading. Because I think it's easy... In a lot of Jesus' parables, it seems like one of the characters represents Jesus or represents God somehow. And because of the way the commending of the shrewd manager happens by the rich man and then immediately by Jesus, it can be easy to think, oh, Jesus must be the rich man in this story. But that is not the case. Jesus is commending the shrewd manager for taking steps that will ensure his future, for being shrewd about his present status and circumstances. And sort of trickster Jesus is using irony to critique his followers for not being shrewd about the gifts that have been entrusted to them by God. The manager had a vision for self-preservation. And Jesus is critiquing his followers, or some of them, because he feels they lack a vision for God and need one. This past week, there was a lot in the headlines about the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church and statements he made about how the Roman Catholic Church has gotten so consumed with aspects of doctrine that they get mistaken as being essentials for the faith and can actually become a distraction to the true mission of the church. And that while those are doctrines of the church, they don't necessarily have to be the essentials that the church talks about non-stop. He's critiquing the church about being issue-driven rather than relationally driven. 
he was, in my mind, commending the Roman Catholic Church to be a little more like the Episcopal Church. (laughs) But I think in this passage, Jesus is essentially doing the same thing with his followers. Stop getting so caught up in this stuff, this little stuff that's really kind of a distraction or in fact isn't little stuff and is really seriously leading you astray. Both the rich man and the manager are manipulating a self-serving system of servitude. And Jesus is calling, calling his followers to be trustworthy servants of generosity and of love. The closing verse about not serving two masters and that you cannot serve God and wealth. I think that passage, the end of this passage, loses a little bit of its impact because we don't get verse 14, which in many ways is directly linked to verse 13, the final statement about you cannot serve God and wealth. Verse 14 says, so Jesus says this, right? You, can, you cannot have two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. Next line. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this and ridiculed him. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this and ridiculed him. If you have any U.S. currency on you, I encourage you to uh, take it out and have a look at it. Go ahead. What does it say on the back of your currency. What? In God we trust. Our money says on the back of it, in God we trust. Now imagine yourself wearing a Christian cross or crucifix that has engraved on it, in wealth I trust. Just imagine that. In wealth I trust. You cannot have two masters. If wealth is our master, then the covenant with God has been broken. For you shall have no other gods. If wealth is our master, then God is not, and the covenant is broken. Jesus' concern here is that we trust in God and God's call in our lives with our money. So that currency you all uh, just pulled out of your purses and wallets, I encourage you to put it in the offering plate. (laughs) Or donate it to a favorite charity. 
Because you cannot serve God and wealth, but you can serve God with wealth. <laughs>